Well, hello and welcome. Yes, it's the Story Hive Autumn and Winter podcast series, the three stories in a row with a little bit of chat from me in between. So I want to kick off straight away by again saying this one comes from random emails. Now, the random email section is actually a kind of fake email section, but it's, some of them are based on real emails, but we'll leave you to figure out which ones. But just to kick off, we think this is an absolutely beautiful one and we do hope you're going to enjoy it because it's actually called The Informant. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. You'll appreciate we in our department rarely respond to such emails. However, the facts you state have made me conclude you do in fact seem to know certain things about this case that make it likely you could be of assistance. Of course, your anonymity is protected, your email being untraceable, as I'm sure you intended. So in answer to your inquiry, yes, I'm interested. I'm currently based at Adworth Police Station, should you wish to meet. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, Detective Sergeant James Hanson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Following up on your suggestion, and I'm still not sure how you seem to have access to certain information regarding this case, however, I'm very sorry to tell you the person concerned has a very reasonable and provable alibi for the night. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I do not believe I can continue our conversation. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, Detective Sergeant James Hanson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Of course we check the security footage at the Happy Save. This is standard police procedure. The figure in the baseball cap bears, we feel, no physical body resemblance to the person you pointed out to us. This was followed up, as I already mentioned, already. Now I consider this matter an end. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I'm not sure where you're getting this information from, but you realise you can get into serious trouble for wasting police time. Now, I will allow your assertion the footage in the Appy Save is badly angled. However, as I've already said, that line of inquiry is now finished. Now, thank you for reaching out. Yours, DS James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Of course I realise how serious this case is. Any murder is a very serious thing and I resent your implication and not taking it seriously. I've got a daughter of my own and the facts are we've got nothing to go on. This sadly can happen sometimes. We're not infallible but given the lack of evidence I'm not sure what you can expect me to do. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I've now followed up on your last suggestion. I didn't know that number 33 had a video doorbell and the owners are now cooperating. Let's hope it turns something up. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I'm pleased to report we may be closer to an identification point. The doorbell footage seems to have captured something our specialist footage colleagues are trying to work out. Well, thanks for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hanson. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I know you're not going to answer this before I ask the question, but how were you aware of the dumped clothing being in that builder's skip? It was a great help, although I 
Shouldn't reveal any information at this point, because it's with our forensic colleagues as we speak. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, Thank you for your inquiry. As I've already stated, I cannot reveal details of an ongoing investigation, but suffice to say, the new forensic material is proving to be very helpful. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, Thank you for your inquiry. Sadly, I have to tell you the doorbell video footage has turned out to be inconclusive due to the rain and the poor angle. But it was a good idea. However, I'm still waiting that forensic report. I can't say much more, but thanks for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Anson. Dear Miss X, Thank you for your inquiry. Now, I don't know why, but I have followed up on that person's last address as you suggested. And you are actually correct. A similar instance happened within that area. I'm now going to do a little bit more digging, as you said. Quite frankly, I'll take anything I can get. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS, James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. Finally, a breakthrough. The person you identified's last address had, as you correctly identified, changed the carpeting before he vacated the property. And the new tenants have been very keen to cooperate with my colleague, DS Shah. Now, at the risk of repeating myself, I shouldn't share this information, but I'd like to thank you for your input so far. Quite how you're finding this stuff out baffles me, but I'm very glad of it. I'd also like to apologise for my earlier potential dismissive remarks. I must commend you for your insight of an adventure that perhaps you should pursue a career within the police force. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. At your suggestion, I did indeed reach out to the manager of the Happy Save one more time. He now remembers the small scar you mentioned. Something he was not originally made aware of in our first interview. Thanks for the prompt. This may move things along. Now, yeah, like you, I'm frustrated, the forensic lab, but I'm sure things are proceeding. Frankly, love, I think you deserve a medal for your help. It's so much appreciated. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. I think we may have something. Dear Shah's team have obtained what I for now will term quite strong evidence. Plus, the forensic lab seems to have turned something up. As for me, I'm going to look for the bracelet in the place you described. And at the risk of sounding silly, I'd venture you're a better detective than I am. You really should think about signing up the force at Endon College. As promised, I'll keep you informed. And thanks for reaching out to us. Yours, DS James Hansen. Dear Miss X, thank you for your inquiry. How on earth could you know about the bracelet? I'm honestly still completely baffled. But as I said earlier, I took anything I can get and, quite frankly was the last piece of the puzzle. It's in the public record now, as you've probably read, but Franklin Jones did live for a while in the Stretton area. The two murders of Angela Barnsbury and Debbie Smedick are now being linked to him via blood matches from the floorboards of his old flat. 
and DNA materials from their bodies. I shouldn't be telling you this, but I feel you deserve it. And further, regarding the craze, for instance, the abandoned clothing found in that skip you suggested, and the fact he was seen in the happy safe footage, well, the clothing bore traces of both of his victims, and that scar on his face the manager described matched Franklin Jones's scar, placing him firmly in the area. And again, DNA material from their poor bodies identified him as their killer. That bracelet he kept in a hidden drawer was, as you correctly said, the property of poor little Maisie Etherington. And I can tell you, love, I can only thank you from the bottom of my heart. And once again, I would urge you to come forwards, collect a reward, plus a commendation from my commissioner for just the invaluable help. Because of you, an evil man is going to spend the rest of his life behind bars and his time, I'm glad to say, made more hard by his heinous crimes against kids. Thanks so much for reaching out to us. Yours, D.S. James Anson. Dear Maisie, Last night, I reviewed all the material you'd sent me. I suddenly realised where it all must have come from. And then I thought, I'm not much of a detective, love, am I? I can't thank you enough. Rest in peace, little angel. Rest in peace. Yours with all my love, James Hanson. And sometimes you kind of wish that that sort of thing could happen, don't you? We hope you enjoyed that story and it does make a lot of people write into us. So if you feel like dropping us a line, please do. Anyway, whipping forwards again. It's another from the Andrew emails and it's called, well, it should make you laugh. We don't know, but we do know it's called The Inventor. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, once again, thank you for responding to our recent advert for Inventions Wanted. Here at Simpsons Design and Innovation, we're keen to reach out into the scientific community to see what our brilliant colleagues may be coming up with. I would respectfully ask you to respond directly to our Miss Grayson in new development as listed in the advert and not to myself. Please follow her submission instructions very carefully. And also, please note, we do clearly state in our initial inquiry information sheet, if inventors want us to return any prototypes and paperwork they send to us, we do require them to add a prepaid mailing label so it can be returned to them. Sadly, my duties mean I'm unable to spend as much time as I once did in the department. However, I do wish you the very best with your endeavours. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clatterbuck, Whilst I do agree that Miss Grayson's tone could have been a little kinder, I think your kitten fluffer device may have caught her off guard. Of course, as you say, your mother finds her kitten utterly adorable when his little fur fluffs up. But I'm not sure that placing the kitten in your device and administering a mild static charge could be considered kind, safe or indeed ethical. Whilst I do agree the results do look rather cute, as the original kitten pictured there, he looks gorgeous as a two foot across puffball floating on the breeze. But you'll also note the look of shock on the poor little thing's face. I urgently beg you to cease and desist in this. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, 
Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, thank you for abandoning the device. I'm very glad you saw reason. Yes, Miss Grayson's tone can seem a little harsh. I will concur. But your latest device, the mini kitchen whiz, it seems to actually violently smash the crockery in the device to a fine powdery dust instead of delivering the super squeaky clean finish as your brochure suggested. Plus, at 20 foot across, it's hardly a mini kitchen whiz, is it? I believe it might need some adjustment and rethinking. Now, thank you for adding the mailing label, as it has, I understand, now been returned. However, as always, I wish you the very best with your endeavours. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, I'm afraid I do agree with Miss Grayson here. I'm not sure there is a use for your Space Saver 5000, a machine that allows cars to park on their side. Well, I agree your mother was very clever to think of it, but the whole thing caught us really by surprise. It is, as you say, very large. It's 80 foot across. And its main problem, and I hesitate to point it out, but I feel I must, is that, yeah, the machine gently tips the car on their side to make more space. Very clever. But there doesn't seem a way to put them back again. And that is the result now of a car being on its side in your driveway. I mean, what's the point of that? This may be a case, and I believe it to be, of back to the drawing board. Now again, well done for removing the machine so quickly. But you've inadvertently left four cars on their side in our car park. Please advise. Now, one tiny point I must venture. Many new inventions, and please think about this, are in fact additions or modifications to things that already exist. You might like to ponder on that thought. However, as always, I do wish you the very best with your endeavours. Your sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, thank you for writing the cars yesterday. Now, am I right in thinking the Suckmaster 6000 is a home device? Now I agree, you have gone along with my modification or addition to existing product advice and I'm very pleased to hear that. However, your upgrade as you call it seems to have some small issues. Now I'll agree, our testers found as a home floor cleaning device it did indeed initially remove all the dirt from the test carpet provided. However, it also then sadly removed the carpet themselves, the wooden floor and underneath and four inches of concrete and brickwork. Now I think there's some major strength adjustments here before you attempt any further demonstrations. I'm really not sure that one's going to work commercially. However, as always, I do wish you the very best with your endeavours. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, Yes, I'm happy to answer questions, but the Stair Climb Chair 700 is really a step too far, I fear. I understand it's a modification. Yeah, I get that. An enclosed chair with a heated seat, a very lovely idea. And of course, I'm sorry to hear about your mother's mobility issues with her stairs, but the device we believe travelled up that test stairwell you provided at some 400 miles per hour. This not being, and I'm sure you'll agree, a comfortable speed for an elderly or infirmed loved one. Plus, the test dummy provided lost both arms and was found two miles away in a branch of Superdrug. I really believe you're going to have to rethink this one. However, 
As always, I do wish you the very best with your endeavours. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clatterbuck, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I am, regrettably, in full concord with Miss Grayson here, I'm afraid. We simply cannot accept any more inventions from you unless the descriptions accompanying them match the device's final performance. For example, the Baby Care 7000 Sleep Alert does indeed bring a softly crying baby to its parents' attention. However, the device then flung the baby into some kind of net we weren't expecting to pop up and then propelled it into the dummy mother's arms at around Mach 1. This, my dear Mr Clutterbuck, is both dangerous and frightening to our staff and the result in sonic boom damaged countless windows. An invoice for damage is attached. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, Look, I'm, I have to say thank you for the large cheque for the damage. Your mother is, as you say, a very generous person indeed. But my dear Mr Clutterbuck, if you'll permit me, could I ask you perhaps to reimagine, refine your inventions a little bit more and try to scale them down? Your fold-away light-up disco speaker floor measured some 600 feet across, making it unsuitable for anywhere. Plus, the volume of the disco floor exceeded that of a jet fighter on takeoff, necessitating the use of air defenders and baffles. Look, I don't want to put a fellow inventor off, but please take my suggestions with the kindness they are meant. Perhaps something I don't know people would really like to receive, say as a gift. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, now that's more like it. It is gratifying to know of your mother's love of eggs. And the tabletop multi-egg omelette microwaver did follow your initial description. The machine was small, attractively finished, so a big well done there. A fine gift item indeed. And the omelette produced was well, looked delicious and perfectly cooked. However, as I'm sure you're aware, it somehow re irradiated the egg to such a degree they glowed brightly for sort of nine days and the resultant heat meant they couldn't be approached without fire safety equipment. Well it was still a fine concept but it just needs a little or should I say a lot more tweaking. Now again I know you don't want to hear this but I am going to be the bearer of bad news. My dear Mr Clutterbuck in my heart of hearts I think it best we do not receive any more of your inventions. Both Miss Grayson and I have come to the conclusion you're going to have to rethink your general approach. Here at Simpson Design and Innovation, we're of course keen to encourage new devices and products. We simply feel that perhaps you are not quite ready to join our family of colleagues. I don't know, pursue my suggestion of something that you would like yourself. However, I always wish you the very best with your future endeavours. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. My dear Mr Clutterbuck, I do of course understand your disappointment, but we all feel we've really given your inventions a fair going truth and I'm sorry for the situation, but I'm afraid we feel here it is for the best. Again, as always, I wish you the very best with your future endeavours. Yours sincerely, 
Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, I do hope, I'm not going to regret this, but yes, I have indeed told Miss Grayson to receive your final invention. And as you've said, it is something you'd like yourself. And yes, in this instant, I will myself conduct the test. This is purely in a spirit of collegiate regard to a bold fellow inventor. Now, of course, I cannot promise anything. And again, I'm sorry for Miss Grayson's tone. And yes, I will earnestly apologise to you for her calling you a crackpot loony. That was not her intention, I am sure. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, I urgently need you to respond to my last emails. We received your MatterChange 800 and I'm still in shock. As promised, I took charge of the first test. I followed your instruction to the letter. The machine looked to be the size of a standard desktop printer and was, I thought, beautifully finished. 10 out of 10 on the gift front. However, I was not expecting the result I got. I slid that unusual slender black cartridge thing into the slot, as you'd indicated. Then I put a piece of household brick into the small hopper, following your instruction to the letter. I then closed the lid and pressed the large button saying, Convert. My dear Mr Clatterbuck, the machine hummed briefly, then as listed in your instructions, a red light began blinking until it finally went out. And then, upon opening the hopper lid, I now found a block of solid gold. I nearly fainted, Mr Clatterbuck. And then all the lights went out on the machine, which is now, as far as we can tell, completely non-functional. Gold, Mr Clutterbuck, you can make gold. The test from our laboratory showing it to be utterly pure 22 karat gold. We've examined the device as you further suggested, but we realise we need another of those unusual slender black things, you know, to actually make it function. Words fail me, Mr Clutterbuck. Please call me directly. I am waiting for your call. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Dear Mr Clutterbuck, are you there? Please respond. Yours sincerely, Graham Simpson, Managing Director, Simpson Design and Innovation. Well, hopefully you're laughing and now we're going to turn it right around on a sixpence because as I said, the writing series we would normally run on here is now transferred onto all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok and it allows us to get you to this last story and I have to tell you folks, it's a real creepy one. And it's, well, if you've ever been trolled on the internet, I think you're going to love this one because it's from the Horror Club collection and it's called The Troll. He sat, his pudgy fingers flying over his keyboard, up in his bedroom, the one he'd had since he'd been a child. Fuck you, you fat whore, he wrote, giggling to himself. You look like an elephant in a sausage skin. Stupid bitch, constantly posting about a new album. And he'd read about her eating disorder. See how she liked that comment. And as he sat, he crammed some chips into his mouth. His desk, a mess of old crisp packets and Coke cans. 
And now he squinted at the screen, scanning the various feeds he was tapped into. It was the weekend, Saturday night, and he was alone again in his room. It was just the way things were, he told his mum. Her hinting, the right girl, she would come along, and the universe could see him, his kindness. But she didn't really know him at all. And now he pasted a picture of a donkey and added it to its next comment, his fingers still a blur. He was very good at this stuff, technically highly proficient, just not very proficient at people. It was bitter, and his bitterness comforted him. Just fuck them all, he muttered to himself. For Brian had never really fitted in, that fact being mentioned in his junior school reports, much of it being put down to his sarcasm and critical comments, his unwillingness to join in teams. And of course, there was his disdain for his classmates. But by college, he'd seemed to change. Although, in fact, it was simply an act of deceit on his part. Because he still felt himself to be superior to everyone, but he didn't let people know that. He actually took the subterfuge to a whole new level. He volunteered. He was always helpful. And people started calling him good old Brian, praising his unselfish nature. One of the good guys, his end of college report had said, a real team player, an asset to the community. And of course, the job at the elite car centre, well, that had suited him perfectly. Parts and spares. He had a tiny single cubicle at the back end of the building. Computer section, it was laughingly called. But the other guys were in the main office next door, the ten of them. But Brian, he just preferred his own space. His specialist area, coming the 12 by 14 office he had, and it was parts and spares. High-end specification. All expensive, all handmade to order. And in fact, it was a highly complicated process. Everything he had had to be scheduled and ordered, real last minute stuff. But Brian was good at it. Computers were his thing. And his boss, Mr. Kwan, marveled at his skill. His boss, Mr. Kwan, used to tell people, he was marvelous. He used to say, he's just so skilled, always happy to work late. In fact, people said he was a model son to his disabled mother. He'd actually won Employer of the Month three times in the past year. And everyone used to slap him on the back. Good old Brian, they used to say. What a well-deserved award. A really nice guy. Pleasant too. Some people said he was a bit standoffish, but most said he was just shy. Socially awkward, Kelly and HR presently noted on the company record. But none of them knew the true depths of his feeling. Still, he went to company drinks nights, took it all in, went to charity fundraising events, gave generously. Good old Brian, always happy to chip in on colleagues' birthdays. But in truth, it was a mask. Brian was angry, bitter, bitter at not being popular, angry at being awkward, bitter at being unattractive in body shape terms. But it was strange because he was unwilling to change it in any way. He could have exercised or gone to the gym, but instead he just stayed bitter. He used to watch the girls in the front office from behind his laptop, knowing he didn't stand a chance, and his dislike of them became almost visceral. Plus the guys in the other computer section, bunch of losers the whole bunch used to say to himself, their cars and their beer nights and their fancy clothes. The darkness within him had started when he was very young. His father had been a distant figure, cold even, 
finally dying on Brian's 13th birthday. And Brian had felt nothing. But his mother, poor cow, well, she'd fallen to bits. She'd gone on to rely on him really heavily. And she turned to crystals and some load of whole hippie shit. And then she got sick. And it was her life with MS that almost made her unaware of the space in her son's chest where a heart should be. Because where a heart should be in Brian was just a cold and empty space. When he smiled at her, it was muscle movement. Him unable to tell her about the actual resentment he felt. Her constant needs, her medication, the hospital trips, the messy house they lived in, small and cramped like his mother, he thought. And it all made him more bitter. He'd never loved her. He, he knew that, even before the illness. And it wasn't like he hadn't tried, but he couldn't explain it even to himself. And he just felt nothing. And he ignored the fact that she adored him. She told everyone how proud she was of him, treasure him like a precious thing. My amazing son, she would say to the nurses and everyone, he's the best and kindest man alive. And she kept saying the universe would reward him. And it was watching over him. And it saw he had a good heart. But it was just fairy tale hippie shit again, Brian thought. <laughs> she'd even given him a dream catcher with it on. And she'd stuck it up behind his computer monitor in his room. Silly cow. He couldn't be bothered to take it down. It was all just nonsense. Nonsense for suckers. The universe wasn't watching anything. And it didn't see a thing. Because if it did, his life would have been way better. Then the computer game revolution started. And finally, Brian found what he thought was his true passion. And he spent days perfecting his skills, becoming expert in so many games. But as they grew from simple arcade games to the fully fleshed out fantasy worlds, that was where it really took off for him. In a way, that had driven him to study computer programming, which then later ensured his later career, if it could be called that. For without realising it, he'd become pretty much indispensable to the company. He knew everything. He knew all their systems, how they worked, how they run, and he could fix any problem. In fact, Mr. Kwan said he actually did the work of three people single-handedly and pretty much gave him a wide berth and let him off. He never you know, chided him for being late or anything like that. But Brian was focused. He wasn't an idiot. The company was a small but well-run business and his salary was okay. But in truth, he had no ambition. But that suited him. He could just manage everything he liked, part of the programme, his own design even. But he never told anyone about it because no one actually cared, he felt. And so he was left alone. But he did his job, he got paid. But in truth, it only took up a very small part of his time rest of which he spent online, which was exactly how he liked it, work being more of a side focus. His social life was virtually zero. He didn't take to people and they didn't take to him, but not that he made any effort. It was that bitterness, that darkness inside him. But then he thought it didn't matter anymore because he had his online friends now, worlds of Daedalus Prime, a really complicated multiplayer computer game had alien worlds, amazing graphics, 4K rendering. And Brian was in a team of five. 
They'd met in the game fan chat room initially. He didn't know their real names or where they lived or even where they were from. And he kind of liked that, that anonymity. And everyone stuck to their team handles. There was Brigand and Sniper and Sapper and Doc. And his handle was Techno. And although he didn't know the guys, he thought of them as friends. They used to chat for hours, hours into the small hours of the morning. And eventually, most of his evenings were planned around their online adventures. They had a set timetable. He'd even set up a special diary for everyone. And you just logged in, 7 until 11, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. All of them had full headsets, full virtual reality, and they would chatter away. And best of all, no one broke the code. Everyone stayed in character. There were no personal details. And it was said that in the game manual, keep it real. And to be honest, Brian thought to himself, that's how it should be. Don't break that magic. For he was techno, the fixer, the problem solver. And in the game online, he looked muscular, tall, a huge mane of blonde hair, heroic. A very, very far cry from his true appearance. Brigand had a wolf's head, Sniper was an android, Sap had wings, and Doc was some kind of blue-skinned aqua being. And Brian loved it. He knew his role. They all did. Complete the mission. Take the next mission. Don't die. Kill the enemy. Shoot everything that wasn't the team. And though he enjoyed it, and he actually lived for the game, he actually knew his one true pleasure came from the other activity. It had actually started out innocently enough in an online computer program forum. Someone had gone on and explained about creating hidden emails and profiles and changing the true location of IP addresses, which made them untraceable. It was great for harassing companies, the guy had said. We can stick it to the man, greedy corporations. And Brian had actually tried to set some up. And then, randomly, he'd seen someone from his old school, Steve Mitchell, captain of the soccer team, a real jerk. And there he'd been on Facebook, raising money for some bone marrow cancer charity, just to make himself look good. That's what Brian had reasoned. And he made that point in the first of his many posts to the poor sucker. Yeah, that would show him, anonymously, of course. He'd used a fake profile, and he'd called him a charity parasite. And the power he'd felt as he typed those words. And that's when it had started. At first, it had been people he'd had some connection to, school and work and neighbours. But then he'd moved on to strangers, local groups, and it had felt good. He could tell those idiots exactly what he thought. Generally, hateful things, spiteful. And even Brian couldn't describe the feelings they evoked within him. But he just knew he liked them. And he carefully used to work out exactly what he thought would be the most hurtful thing to say. It wasn't hard. I mean, these people, they were idiots. They made it so easy. And he could ridicule their body shapes, compare them to pigs. Sometimes he went about their hair saying they've got bad wigs. And he would always use profanities and racial slurs. And all of this, safe behind his keyboard, safe in the knowledge, he couldn't be traced. If an identity got shut down or blocked, he'd simply create a new one. And that became like a second game to him, outwitting the system. 
and his bitterness would rise. Once he'd asked a girl at the office out and she'd come out with some crap about a boyfriend and he knew she didn't have a boyfriend because he'd been checking her online profiles. He'd found her on a dating site and of course he'd left her some choice messages. See how the cow liked that. Then his job changed, but in a good way. The company was expanding, they said, and now they said he had to go into the new enlarged office, new people arriving. But Mr. Kwan, his direct boss, had listened to him and given him a private room. And he told everyone, Brian is indispensable. And although he didn't like the change at first, he managed. And eventually he had to confine his online campaigns to the nights only now. And in a way, it was kind of better, he felt. He kind of got on with things a bit better. But next to the worlds of Daedalus Prime, it became his life. And of course, as he went each evening, he didn't care who hurt or belittled. Because to Brian, they were just sheep. Fake lives, stupid Instagram pictures, holidays, their attempts to better themselves, to help others. But he just actually told the truth. A bunch of hypocrites. A bunch of just liars and idiots. And what did they know about anything? The next month passed by. It had been pretty busy. They had a big new contract. Until finally to his relief, the Saturday night came. And after his takeaway meal, he settled into his computer chair. Of course, he put mum to bed earlier, her prattling on as always about how good he was and the universe was watching over him. He just shook his head. Now there he sat, comfortable in the warmth of his bedroom, and he flicked the standby off on his monitors. Suddenly, a picture immediately popped up on the screen. Some local kid, cancer. Poor little fucker, hollow-eyed but smiling. Some fundraising appeal. Now Brian smiled grimly. He tapped away. Why don't you just die and do us all a favour, you little turd? And he shivered in his seat. <laughs> that was one of his best yet. And the happy feeling... It was impossible to quantify. And now he looked in his file for a GIF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it was. Perfect. A dancing coffin. And he thought for a second. And now his pale face, lit by the blue light from the screen, he warmed to his task. A stream of even worse abuse falling from his keyboard. His fingers, as always, moving like a blur. Then he paused. His fingers stopped in mid-sentence. That was... Weird. The keys, they felt sticky. But before he could lift them, the keyboard seemed to almost melt and it pulled his hands straight into the plastic. What, what, what the hell? And then suddenly the large screens just flickered, flickered in front of him. And now they filled up with comments and pictures and gifts. And Brian was struggling now. He stared. They were, that was everything he'd ever posted. There they were. Every cruel comment in black lines, large font, every nasty jibe. And now he stood up and he sent his chair flying backwards. But he couldn't move. The keyboard had just held him in place. And suddenly it yanked him forwards and down, pulling his face towards the screen. And now he struggled, his breathing short. Suddenly, a ripple of a freezing oozing black oil substance seeped now out between the keys, the same keys that held him fast. And they were twisting and moving now like a pair of strong hands. And the black liquid quickly ran up his arms. And now Brian tried to shout, 
but a jet of oily, sticky blackness gushed out from the screen and it hit him squarely in the face. And it filled his eyes and his ears, his open mouth, running down his face. And he was sobbing and choking, but it was getting thicker and thicker and mud-like, making him gag. Him still desperately trying to wrench his hands free, but the jet just grew fiercer and fiercer, thick and glutinous, ink-like, black, black as the evil of the things he'd posted, choking him with his own dark words, filling his throat with cruel images, blinding him, deafening him. And now he felt his hands being crushed, tears of pain now running from his eyes. He couldn't scream, his mouth full of the black ink. His mother's words on the dream catcher behind the monitor seemed to shine brightly now like fire. Until, with a heavy thud, he slumped to the ground to his knees, his broken hands finally coming free, falling lifelessly backwards to the floor. His cooling body, an empty heart, now full of black ink, like his dark, unkind soul. The universe finally seeing him for what he was, commenting back, finally. Yeah, I think he deserved it, don't you? Well, anyway, it's time for us to go now. As always, three W's, thestoryhive.co.uk. That's the home of our giant, amazing stories platform. And I'm going to leave you with your hope the world today. And we think, well, we hope the world is alive with good drama. Bye now.